Hi, welcome to Masala History Podcast. My name is Deepthi and I'm flying solo today as my partner in crime Manami is missing in action. If you would like to hear her lovely voice, she will be back for our next episode where we will be talking about a Mughal emperor, opiate addiction and his hero worship of his wife, who herself was a very powerful woman. If you want to know who this person is, then stick around till the end of the pod and I will reveal the emperor's name. Today, I'm going to present you with a love story. A story that was written not in the Mughal Empire but further south in peninsular India in the Sultanate of Bijapur, probably in the late 16th or early 17th century. This love story called Pem Name explores the love of Shaji and Maji, a prince and princess from the imaginary kingdoms of Kuldeep and Sangaldeep. Pem Name is translated as the loss of love, as in L-A-W-S, loss of love, and is said to have been written in the year 1590, which coincides with the auspicious year of 999 in the Muslim calendar by a poet named Hassan Manju Khalji under the pen name of Hans. Of course, as all literature was created in this era, it was made under the patronage of the Bijapur Sultan Ibrahim Adil Shah II, a very erudite but also slightly weird man as we will discuss later on in the pod. This is an extremely rare and special manuscript as it is only one of the very few surviving from this period from the Deccan and not only does it have poetry of uh, of of a complete form it has 39 illustrated paintings that complement the poetry and bring the poetry to life I wanted to talk about this manuscript because Very recently I found out that the British Library which holds the entire collection digitized it and made it so these collections can really be looked at like never before. The high quality of the digitization is so brilliant that you can actually see every little detail of this manuscript which is so phenomenal and I would I will give the link to this on our show notes but you really have to go take a look at this because it is so so gorgeous. So back to the story of Pem name. The story is about this hero and heroine who knows about each other through a portrait that was brought to them by a tortoise. Yes, a tortoise. Shaji who finds this princess's portrait through the tortoise immediately falls in love with the beautiful princess and he sets out on this quest to find her he sometimes accompanied by like a person or by animals who take part in the sorrow that he has of not being able to meet his beloved he on the way he meets with holy men and yoginis who are these women with superhero powers or superhuman powers who who conjured up to aid kings generally as you will see in indian art they're also like the kind of tree spirits yakshinis that you see sometimes in um ancient and medieval architectural structures in in india at large 
the images in the paint or the paintings that is associated with the manuscript are something that you know you would not quite see outside of the sultanate culture drawn in every shades of reds and oranges they they are very very colorful and quite dramatic so for example in an image where shahji searches for his beloved and you see him crying a river of tears which in the painting is shown literally as like a stream that originates from the eyes of shahji and uh, sort of goes into the into the ground um and that shows the poetic aspirations of 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 this uh, of this kind of work um this image of the shahji crying literally a stream of tears i will provide um on our website um and you can find that at masalahistory.com in the same vein the love for shahji that shahji displays is seen literally on his heart so where his jama is tied his robe is tied you know the the v shape that's created by the robe um on over the v shaped neck of the robe you see maji's impression um appear and constantly throughout every painting before shahji meets maji you see this princess's face emblazoned on shahji's heart this kind of shows not only that the princess is always in his heart but that there is an actual image of the princess that he's committed to memory memory and is almost tattooed into his heart in 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 a very visceral manner you wouldn't find that kind of representation outside of the deccan even outside of bijapur it is a very highly emotionally charged and very literal depiction of the love shahji has for maji Now what happens when Shahji finally with the aid of yoginis and holy men and tortoises and everyone gets to Maji is somehow slightly different from what we expect Shahji finally ends up at his uncle's palace and apparently that makes Maji his cousin because Maji is supposed to be the daughter of his uncle all right and then shaji meets maji and thinks of that hey she looks nothing like her portrait this has happened to us before right um yeah shaji's completely denied the existence of the real maji because he thought what was on his chest that portrait was the real maji and the maji that he was seeing in person was just a reflection of the portrait in his heart so reluctant to accept the real maji as his beloved because you know her face did not match with the one in his heart shaji walks away and abandons maji for the next one year they both are separated like any good rom-com there has to be a period of separation right so here too you see that shaji and maji goes away really because shaji is doubting the real maji as being real this portion of the story is painted 
mostly with Margie as the main central figure. And here also you see the literal translation of the poetry into picture. So in one one painting where Margie is um, sitting alone away from all the festivities that's happening around her in the palace, um, she is enframed with flames showing her unrequited passion like you know that's bursting out of her in the form of flames and I will provide the image for this as well and and um and her friends or her um sakhis or dasis whoever they're trying to uh, pour water on her to put out the flames and and so there is something very um lyrical but also very um i don't want to use the word cute but like it's it's a very um endearing um display of what the poetry is about so even if you can't read um Dakini, you can still look at the images and sort of make sense of what's going on then after a year Shaji of um, Shaji's introspection, Shaji realizes that he's made a mistake and that the Maji that he saw was indeed real and what was in his heart was a mere reflection and then he rushes back and then they get married and then possibly lives happily ever after. I don't know what happens at the end of the story after they get married. But in the manuscript itself, a great many of the images that are painted is devoted to the marriage festivities um, of Shaji and Maji. The fundamental idea of such love stories uh, made in this period is really Sufiq uh, in nature. In the Sufi genre of poetry, um, the love story between uh, the protagonist, a hero and heroine, is really a metaphorical tale of the path of that a man can take towards finding God. And so um, in Sufiq poetry, the, the hero-heroine love story of first falling in love, then separating, then unifying again, is a com common trope that usually talks about unification or finding God. There is also a sense of eroticism that you can see displayed in this kind of uh, imagery. Um, often they look like dream imagery than a real-life imagery. Um, and the paintings themselves are... Uh, support this sort of um, a very otherworldly feeling with their brilliant colors. The, the meadows are red and the trees are orange and the rocks are violet and the skies are golden and they all give out uh, an electrifying effect that is sometimes almost comical because we are so not used to thinking of... Um, paintings other than in a realistic manner. The poetry was written in the Dakini language, a language that had its origins in the region around the mid-1400s and was the precursor of the Urdu that we know today. However, the language itself had not yet solidified um, and so um, there were a lot of words in this literature that was borrowed from Marathi and Telugu. 
I'm also very fascinated by the rhyme and rhythm of the poetry itself. Um, while I can't read or write or understand or do anything with Urdu or any of these other languages, I found a few of the verses that was quoted uh, by Dave Matthews in his great work um, on um, on Pame Name and other literature of the period. And I wanted to give you a taste of what that sounded like. Now I'm going to completely screw up the pronunciation and everything else so please forgive me for that um, if you're an Urdu speaker or know how to really say these words. But I wanted to quote a verse from Folio 50 as an example of the rhyme and the rhythm that carries this poetry forward. It goes something like this. Karak kari jan kari karkat kari khan khan khar khar kharkat sajal bal pal pal tal mal pem paya manmuhat As you can see, even with my really bad pronunciation of these words, they have such a rhythmic meter that it's hard not to say the words in a certain way. And so to think of these as being extremely expressive and evocative poetry that kind of talks about um, the story in the same richness as we can see in the images is quite exhilarating. And I hope and I wish that somebody one day will do a complete translation of Pame Name so that we can actually read this in it in all its brilliance. Pame name was not something that was produced in isolation. This was a period of efflorescence, um, especially cultural efflorescence, in the Bijapur, Bijapur court under Ibrahim Adil Shah II, was himself a musician and uh, a poet, often derided for not being an effective uh, politician. He probably made up for it by his wonderful patronage of musicians and artists um, and dancers and others in his court in this period. He ruled from 1579 to 1627, so that's a rather long time, 48 years, for uh, a king of this period. Um, and in his works, in the works that he patronized as well as the works that he wrote himself, you can see the eclectic and multicultural cosmopolitan outlook of the Dakani Sultanates um, of the time. So, for example, in the Pame name, it starts, the book starts with an evocation of the Hindu goddess Saraswati, the goddess of knowledge, and then followed by an evocation of uh, Muhammad and then the Sufi saint uh, Burhanuddin who was actually Ibrahim Adil Shah's guru as well as the guru of uh, Kalji, the poet who wrote Pemni. The artistic production under his patronage clearly shows what kind of a multicultural milieu existed in Bijapur at this time. What you see in Bijapur which are paintings, which are, as I uh, mentioned before, is not as realistic as you would see um, in the Mughal period at the time, is, is the kind of emotionally charged portrayals that one can actually see in the Turkmen 15th century court of in Tabriz under Shah Tamasp. 
And so it is probable that um, many artists from Tabriz migrated into Deccan and was working in Ibrahim Adil Shah II's court in this period. At the same time, there is evidence that the Mannerist European painter from the Harlem School, um, who used to work Rudolf II in Prague, he actually also worked in Bijapur um, under Ibrahim Adil's patronage. This was also a period where you saw um, Mughal painters come south and work for the Deccan sultans. And so a vibrant, multicultural, multilinguistic atmosphere prevailed in, in, in Bijapur as well as in other kingdoms. Ibrahim Abdul Shah himself wrote a book um, which is called Kitab e Naras. He was very, um, let's say, enamored by the concept of the Navarasas from the Hindu scriptures, the uh, Nine Rasa theory. And so his book was called Kitab e Naras. He had um, a city built called Naraspur. He had a palace called Naras Mahal. And it shows that as a scholar of um, his region and as a musician, he was really interested in looking at Indian aesthetics and Indian aesthetic theory that was had been passed down uh, from the time of Abhinava Gupta in, within the Bijapur court. This is not uh, one of those tyrannical Islamic ruler that you hear about um, often erroneously in, in present times. This was an extremely cosmopolitan court. And Ibrahim Adil Shah too was not alone in, in his multiculturalism for his contemporary Muhammad Kuli Kutub Shah who ruled Golconda, the neighboring Golconda, now Hyderabad, um, also was not only a poet, but patronized all types of artists from all across the subcontinent and also from Central Asia in this time period. Literature and poetry from this period, like Pemname or the Kitabi Noras, thus gives us an insight into the cosmopolitanism of the Deccan Sultanates. It was a place of mixing, it was a place of production, it was a place of art and patronage. It was a place where I think more than one was the norm. Fame name is a great example of this more than one um, aspect of the Deccan region in this period. While appearing as a love story, it, it metaphorically stands for the Sufic idea of unification with God. But at the same time, within the text, there are so many references to the Navarasas that Ibrahim Adil Shah II really loved. And um, the construction of these stories, including um, tortoises or animals that help the heroes and heroines, the yoginis, the holy men. They are very much indique in their constructions and uh, in the way uh, they appear in the narratives. So here is a manuscript that combines the Central Asian style of portrayal with unique poetry um, in uh, Dakhni that's very much original to the region with indique ideas of uh, Navrasas with 
the portrayal of um, Sufic scriptures or Sufic concepts and uh, the Indian goddess Saraswati right in, in, in the front of it. What could be more multicultural than that? If you like this board and you want to know more about Pame name and uh, related imagery, please head over to masalahistory.com where there is more information um, on further reading materials as well as where you can find all these images online. We are also on Twitter as at Masala History, on Instagram also as at Masala History, and on Facebook you can find that as Masala History's page. If you have any comments or you have any ideas about what we should record for our future podcast, please drop us a line um, over at masalahistory.com or at one of our other social media links and we'll be happy to actually record something that you guys suggest. For our next pod, as I said at the beginning of this one, we are going to talk about an emperor of the Mughal dynasty who was heavily addicted to opium and was a raging alcoholic, but was deeply, deeply enamored by his wife. I'm talking about none other than the Mughal emperor Jahangir, who wrote for about a decade an autobiography of himself in very colorful terms. And this um, autobiography gives us a very rich insight into what his life was like and the people who were in his circle. So stay tuned for our podcast on Jahangir, which is going to be up in a couple of weeks. Until then, it's goodbye from me at Masala History Podcast. You can find more information about us at www.masalahistory.com. There are more episodes um, available via our websites. We are also on iTunes. If you're finding us for the first time, please know that we have uh, more pods, um, episodes available on our website. However, their quality is slightly less than what you are getting right now. We are a group of PhD students and we are still working on getting this running. And so bear with us as we slowly but steadily improve the sound quality of our recordings. Thank you for listening.